everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 70, and I'm talking with Samantha Smith. Samantha is a friend here locally in Indianapolis. She's a speaker. She's a CrossFitter. She's a runner, and she was married to Andrew Smith. Andrew Smith played basketball at Butler University, and last year, last January, he passed away from cancer, and Samantha very openly and honestly wrote about their journey on their blog and they very much walked through this in the public eye. I was so honored to sit down at her table and have her share their story with me to learn a little bit more about Andrew and when we were finished talking I was left wishing I would have been able to know him myself. There are a few tears in this interview, but we do lighten the mood a little bit at the end, like always, and have a really fun conversation. We actually commit to doing an improv class together at the end of this conversation, which is kind of fun. I had such a great time talking with Samantha, getting to know her more, and I know you guys are going to love this episode with her. Before we get started talking with Samantha, I want to thank Now Foods for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Now Foods has been a leader in the natural products industry since 1968. They have food, essential oils, sports nutrition. You guys know I get my favorite protein powder from them, the Creamy Vanilla Plant Protein Complex. You guys can go to now-2-u.com to save 25% off your next order. Use the promo code ANOTHER, all caps. Don't forget, my live show is September 30th. It's coming up so soon. I'm really excited. Get your early bird ticket price. Prices go up July 1st. And I'm excited to be partnering with the Indie Women's Half Marathon. They are actually offering everybody who comes to the live show $15 off their race entry. So when I get your Eventbrite registration, I will personally email you the $15 off code. It's going to be such a fun weekend. Michelle Gonzalez, Mary Johnson, Maggie Dials are all joining me for the live show. We're going to have some wine. We're going to have some good laughs, some good conversation, and a fun social hour. I'm so excited to get to know more of you guys there. Hey, thanks everybody who has left me a rating and review on iTunes. I so appreciate it. It's the best way for potential new listeners to find the show. So if you haven't done so already, head over to iTunes and do that for me if you would. It would be a big help and I would really appreciate it. If you're looking for more content from me, I do release bonus episodes on my Patreon page, two bonus episodes a month. One with my husband, Glenn, which our episode this past week I dropped was pretty funny. And then, well, I think it was pretty funny. And then one with a returning guest each week. And actually my second bonus episode in June was the live show that I did at the YMCA with three of my friends who completed Rim to Rim to Rim in the Grand Canyon. It was a really funny episode as well. So patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine if you're looking for a way to support the show and you want more content. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy my conversation with Samantha. Okay. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. So we're talking to Samantha Smith. And we're in Irvington. We are. You're kind of keeping it real down here. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> yeah, trying to. tell me about moving to Irvington mm-hmm. and how long you've lived here. Mm-hmm. So we bought this house in February 2015. Okay. Um, we had initially really wanted to be in Broad Ripple. We had looked in Broad Ripple, uh, mostly because we spent so much of our time there, Andrew and I did. And But found at his 611 frame, he did not physically fit. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a lot a of good the houses. Um, like quite literally the some of the um, the showers and the basements just didn't fit. And so we loved Irvington because it very much so had that broad ripple feel minus the college scene, which was kind of nice because we didn't even utilize that when, <laughs> when we were there and everything. So it just has lots of old homes, lots of charm. And, and so we loved that. Tell everybody a little bit about your life growing up. Okay, sure. Um, just where you're from. Yeah, so I grew up here in Indy. Um, so aside from when Andrew and I lived overseas, I've always been in Indianapolis or in Zionsville. Okay, so where'd so, you go to high school? Covenant Christian. Okay. On the west side. Um, for people that don't know, that is behind Ben Davis, which is like the biggest you know, school on the west side. Uh, it's a really, really small school, about 100 in each class. So uh, I got graduated with maybe 98 other people or so. So pretty small, but that's where Andrew and I met. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in Indy. Um, grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood, pretty dysfunctional home. Ended up moving out of that when I was 14. Um, and bounced around a little bit with coaches and teachers before landing with a former teacher and Ardino students. And they took um, myself and my sister in and spent most of high school with them. And um, yeah, so I've always been here in Indy. And um, yeah. That's kind of like a movie. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm picturing like dangerous minds. <laughs> did Michelle, did you move in with Michelle Pfeiffer? Um, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> what, so can you kind of like tell me about that experience just sure. a little bit? Yeah. So it, it was really, I, I've just been so blessed to have really good people in my life. Um, there have been a lot of hard times and a lot of, um, a lot of disappointments in people, uh, but have certainly tenfold been blessed with, with really, really solid examples and role models. So, uh, the teacher that I ended up moving in with, she was my sister and I, my sister is two and a half years older than I am. Okay. And so Darcy Threlkeld is her name and she was our teacher in middle school. And then her husband was a Dean of Students at Covenant Christian. So Ryan Threlkeld. And that was just a very natural relationship. They were very much so loving and motherly and fatherly towards us and just very much so had, uh, just the Lord's heart and, and taking care of, taking care of us. So it was, it, it was it was probably the most, uh, one of the most impactful forms of unconditional love that I had experienced um, up to that point. And really, honestly, had given me the example of marriage because I didn't really have that growing up. Mm. Um, so it, it really was just a huge impact on my life and, and showing me what unconditional love is and then how marriage is supposed to look and what a family dynamic is, a healthy like family dynamic is supposed to look like. Did they have kids? Mm-hmm. Okay. They did. So younger than us. Um, so Reese is... Um, probably, I think he's six or so years younger than me. And then Derek, their youngest, um, is another four or four younger years than, than him. him. So yeah, about 10 years. Age. So they were like, they were young, six, mm-hmm, seven, mm-hmm, eight or something mm-hmm, when you moved in. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That's so interesting because I feel like if you're placed in someone's life, like they were placed in your life and you have your own kids and your own family, you, some people might automatically think like, Oh you know, like they need help, but this is our family. Right. A hundred percent. And for them, it was just a very natural, like, no, this is your, you're coming. Yeah, you're how coming. does that, how, how does that work out though? You know, honestly, I don't even remember the exact conversation. I just remember there always being this, at first it was just an open invitation. Okay. If you guys need somewhere to be, or if you need to, you know, escape for a night, like come on over, you know, mm-hmm. always welcome mm-hmm. here. And I think it was just a natural, I think it might've been one of those where we just had successively or successively stayed X amount of nights. And it was mm-hmm. just like a, Hey, you know, you know, you can just, Move in, and there it was, there was never a pressure to certainly, but just a 
always a safe place um, is what they offered. And yeah, and it very much so was a natural, you know, even with their kiddos, it was, it became, they became younger brothers and, and things like that. So it was just very much so always feeling part of the family. So, um, so did you stay there through the end of high school? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I did. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Does that, has that you think instilled a heart for like fostering children in your life? Certainly. It certainly has. It always has in me just having felt that impact and wanting to give that back. Eventually I would love to do that. That was something Andrew and I talked about was um, eventually maybe adopting. So that was, that has always been my heart. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were you guys high school sweethearts? High school sweethearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how old were you when you met? Um, well, so we met because I was a terrible friend <laughs> and I dated the older brother. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, his older brother? No, his younger sister. Oh, okay. So okay. yeah, so his younger sister Andrew was a grade older than me. Okay. Um, his sister Kim was in my grade, and we played sports together, played volleyball together, and so I had known the Smith family for years before and. Um, Andrew was never on my radar in that romantic sense. Uh, and then randomly, um, it was, I think our 16th birthday party. And cause Kim and I, we always did birthday parties together. We were pretty close. His sister. Birthdays. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, just really randomly took a liking to him. And, um, I like that tall guy. I like I that might tall be five guy. foot, but I like I know. Him. I, Cause randomly I can't miss him all of a sudden. <laughs> So that's how we met. Um, but I, I had been, like I said, I'd known his family. I'd been with his family for many years before then. And, um, yeah, so we began dating and um, and never stopped. So Okay, and now what year did you get married? We got married in 2013. So he, he, um, he graduated in 2013, and then we got married the weekend after. Oh. So because we had been together for so long, we were always, the goal or the, the mindset was always once Andrew graduates is when we'll get married. And so we literally did it. Yeah. <laughs> good after. Mm-hmm. So for those listeners who might not know Samantha, Andrew passed away in January of January 2016. 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a year and a half ago. So we're going to kind of get into your story with mm-hmm. him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure that's out there in this, in the timeline of sure. the story uh-huh. while we delve yeah. into So Andrew and I got married in May of 2013. And then, um, just a, a little bit of background on our story. Um, Andrew played Butler basketball at, um, at Butler University and our coach Brad Stevens. He was on both teams that went to the national championship games back to back. What year was that? That was 2011 or 2010, 2011. See, and that was so fun to watch as like just an indie person. Mm -hmm. I went to IU but not to hold it against you. I'll try real hard. <laughs> but when you live in Indianapolis, uh-huh. and even though I use my school, Butler's so small and uh-huh. so mighty. And so easy to root for. Oh, yes. Everybody loves Butler. Everybody loves Butler. Right. It doesn't matter who you're rooted in and loyal to. Everybody loves Butler. And the first year, 2010, championship was here in Indianapolis. Yeah. So it was extra fun just to have that vibe and that crazy, crazy community behind you. Uh, my father-in-law went to Butler. He played football okay. there. So we kind of like, like if we are That's watching... If we're watching, if Butler basketball mm-hmm. is on and Warren Crown mm-hmm. Point, mm-hmm. nobody nobody talks. I wish I had a picture the last time they played this spring. My father-in-law was, like, sitting in a straight-up chair, like, in front of us, and we're on the couch behind him, like, movie theater style, and nobody's allowed to talk. No, I, that's how it is in our house. Yeah. So I get it. 100%. So, so I'm, I'm feeling the Butler, you know, yeah. the Butler pride. But anyway... Yeah. So Carry yeah, on. so Andrew played in both of those both of those major games, and that really put him on the map in the basketball world. Um, and so the goal was to play professionally. And so the summer of 2013, so right after we got married, 
Um, he spent that entire summer just doing NBA workouts, NBA tryouts, hopping on airplane after airplane, just you know trying to see if there was a team that fit. He ended up doing his the summer league, um, NBA summer league with um, Oklahoma Thunder. And that was a really great experience, but it became pretty clear that that just wasn't going to fit. And we were pretty realistic about it, knowing that it was probably going to be an overseas option if we did go the professional route. And that's what ended up happening. So um, after that summer and after realizing that an NBA team wasn't going to be a good fit for us and vice versa, uh, we pursued the overseas option and got offers from really neat places like Belgium and Australia, but ended up landing on Lithuania. Um, So Eastern Europe, not the most glamorous um, when you think about traveling overseas, but it was a really good league for a rookie to get into. So it was, in our head, a a stepping stone to a a longer career. Um, But just a few months into our our stay, our journey in Lithuania, is when Andrew, um, he just discovered a swollen lymph node in his neck. Mm -hmm. And initially we weren't super concerned just because there are a lot of reasons for that to happen. You get a virus, no big deal. But it just became clear that that was... It wasn't going away, and it was becoming a, a larger issue. So after a few scans um, and, and X-rays, is when we discovered we discovered overseas that there was a tumor in, in his lungs. And at that time, he was 23. Uh, yeah, he was 23. And so they said, you know, you can either stay here and treat it, or you can go home. Um, and that was obviously a very easy decision for us. 36 hours later, we were on a flight home, and we flew to O'Hare, and then we drove literally. We drove in, dropped our stuff off, and then drove right to the hospital and just began the journey immediately. So in January of 2014 is when he initially got diagnosed with T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma, and it's a really rare form of cancer. So we knew from the get-go that it was going to be a long and hard journey, uh, but you know there was a chance of, of cure and of healing, so that was really all Andrew needed to hear. And I remember being really, obviously, distraught for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, getting that cancer diagnosis and, um, and then not, not even it just being cancer, but it being this really rare, aggressive form, uh, there were obviously a lot of tears. And so after I remember, you know, the doctor came in and told us and Andrew and I, you know, he left us alone and then Andrew and I kind of took a good while to process and a lot of tears there. Um, but I remember Andrew just kind of, after kind of crying it out, um, was just like, Sam, it didn't matter what he came to me and told me it was like if it was going to be the most curable form of cancer or what we're facing now with a very rare form like I was going to tackle it the same way Um, and that really just kind of set the tone for how we went about the next two years so over the next couple years it was just a really long um, journey and battle with cancer so you know chemotherapy and there was at one point where he had to go into a medically induced coma for a week so it, it was just a really long hard journey and full cell highs and lows because there was you know points of remission and then obviously it came back, um, and then that's when we went through a bone marrow transplant process, which ultimately failed. Um, so it was just a journey um, and a long and hard one, but he did it beautifully and gracefully and mm-hmm. humbly and, and inspired just thousands of people all over the world. And you were sort of in a position, since you, you had traveled, you were in Lithuania with him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while he was playing. Uh-huh. You were in a position to be able to go to all of the doctor's appointments. Yeah, and- yeah so blessed. So I missed one chemotherapy treatment in, wow. in, in two years time. So I was really blessed with, um, with really great bosses. So I'm, I'm a nanny and I've been with that family for seven years now. Um, so they don't and, tell me too much. I'll try to steal you. <laughs> <laughs> they won't allow it. Um, but they were really great because they became family to us. And yeah. so it was very much whatever. Oh, we sure. And then just the, the support from the community, uh, was pretty crucial and just allowing me to be able to be so flexible and just be able to be there for him literally for every single one, except for 
one in which I was out getting us a car because we moved to Lithuania, so we didn't have one. So I, I remember missing that one to, to drive up and get that. But other than that. What were those appointments like? I mean, were some mm-hmm. more serious and some, I mean, because at some point, they're, are they long? So long. Yeah. Um, there were times where we would literally be there for 14 hours straight. Um, and it, it, so it would just vary and be all over the place. And that was obviously a frustrating thing, but something that, again, we were so thankful for my flexibility because there wasn't like, a, okay, I need to get back there. Like, there wasn't that stressor. Um, obviously the stress was just being there and it taking a long time. So it just depended on what he needed that day. So if it was just treatment, it was a couple hours, but a lot of times it was, you know, you need blood products, you need, um, you know, this kind of medicine now and, and this thing, and you have to wait for these lab results to come back before we can administer this. And so it was just always something. Um, and that's why, uh, doing this with your best friend, I don't, I don't know that you could do it any other way. You're spending so much time <laughs> just sitting and, um, and, and just trying to get through it. So there were uh, definitely hard times where he would just sleep through all of it. Mm. Um, But then there were times where we would just laugh through a lot of it too. So um, Andrew's spirit was just, um, just perfect um, and really, really resilient. So even through the really long days, he always kept a really, really positive attitude. And that, that helped me as a wife, certainly. Yeah. Because I feel like people, you get a cancer diagnosis. I don't know. I've never had one. Um, But you, I, I hear, I hear cancer and I hear, I feel, I think fear. Yeah. But then at some point you have to still live your life. Yeah. You have to live mm-hmm. with cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was something really major for us is that we never wanted this to stop us from just living our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's difficult obviously because it puts limitations on you, you know, even just logistically travel and, and going certain places where there are crowds and a lot of sick people, like you can't do those mm-hmm. things. So it was hard to not feel limited by it, but as for as much as we possibly could, it was we know this is already taking so much away from us. So, you know, we're going to do our best to not let it rob us of any more than it already has. Did he ever get to the point where he was like, well, you know, you, you, you know what the reality is. There mm-hmm. might be a cure. There might not. Mm-hmm. Or he wanted to like check things off a list to say, I want to get all this done. If this does take um, me. No, he didn't. Uh, and I think that was, honestly because we just didn't believe that this was ultimately going to go the way it went Mm. uh truly and honestly we just didn't yeah we we 100% thought that we were walking out of this together we 100% thought that we um were going to have all these years that we had you know banked on having so there really wasn't um in in his mind uh I need to get things done before because for him it was like before what you know he was believing 100% he would be so the only time we were really faced with that was um we were it was uh, a month before Christmas when um, so Andrew had lymphoma and that's what he battled but um, about in November or early December is when it transformed to leukemia okay um, and that's ultimately the cancer that he that he passed with okay um, so when it trans when it when it transformed to leukemia is when the doctors sat us down and had the this is terminal there's nothing else we can do. And they very bluntly asked, like, what are the things you want to do before really? you pass? Um, and obviously that, that was probably the most emotionally difficult um, conversation. And because the response to that was, you're telling me I, th- that list, like, you're telling me I can't do those things. Because that list means, that list is having kids. That list is, you know, going on vacations. That list is, you know, celebrating anniversaries. Um, so it was difficult to be faced with that, that, that question. And then the answers being ones that we can't have. Mm-hmm. So, so that was December mm-hmm. and he passed away in January. Yep. It was, it was very quick. 
at the end. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I remember seeing, I think somebody had retweeted you, and you, I think, said something like, we're still believing, mm-hmm. we need all the prayers. Yeah. And that's when I started really following what mm-hmm. was going on. So even even after the conversation of it being terminal, again, we just were like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. And, you know, and I look back and part of it is, was I, you know, mm-hmm. were we being... Was it self-preservation? Yeah. Was it, um, you know, was it survival mode mm-hmm. sort of thing? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it was true faith or if it was, you know, self-preservation. But either way, you know, we just still really believed. Even even when he got to the point of, you know, not being coherent, I, you know, and so we weren't even talking together. It was, it was I think, I still think that, you know, the Lord's going to do a big thing and, and perform a miracle here. So it was, it was, um it's difficult because I think a lot of people think with cancer that you have all this time to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, but losing a spouse, like there's no preparing for that, you know? Well, and especially you're going through two years, was it two years uh-huh. of believing uh-huh. that the cure would happen mm-hmm. and could happen. Mm-hmm. And then you had that month yeah, where, where became, you were told. Yeah. There like, there's not a chance, Sam. Yeah. Cause you know, um, even so the month before, so in, um, November, uh, before he passed in so November of 2015, even then when things started to really, you know, become pretty, pretty bleak, you know, it's still very much so as a, I hear what you're saying, but I just, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. You mentioned, um, you mentioned the medically induced coma. Mm-hmm. I think he was working at ProTrans. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just random side note. Yeah. That was my husband's first job out of college. Oh, that's crazy. Working at ProTrans. So that's that's insane. Yeah, so the owners, Craig and Lisa Rainer, uh-huh. are, I mean, like parents to me. Like oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, so, oh. I mean, they're family. We go on vacations together. Shut up. Yeah, I mean, we're super, super Did close. you know them before? Um, so we had our wedding reception on okay. their property, and that's, and so, and their daughter um, went to Covenant as well. So they had known who we were, but it wasn't until our wedding um, and planning that to became like close friends, and then now gather yeah, family. Oh, that's yeah. too funny. That's so funny. Yeah, that was Glenn. Yeah, his first job out of college. I think small, he worked there for world. three years or something. But I remember when, because Andrew, they hired Andrew when he was sick, uh-huh. right? They did. Because he like passed out or something, yeah, right? Because so, they were texting Glenn about it, okay. like that what happened uh-huh. at work. Yes. So it was just, it was crazy. So, and, and we had never got answers for why that happened. Okay. Um, but so what happened was he was sitting at work and very normal day at this point he was going through treatment, but, um, you know, was obviously he was at work. So, you know, he was getting through it and, uh, it was after lunch and he just suddenly passed out and was without a pulse for 22 minutes. Wow. Um, which, you know, for listeners, uh, if you're without a pulse, usually for two minutes, um, you're, you're, you're probably not going to make it. And if you do, then you're going to, you know, you're going to lose, um, brain simulation and be brain dead. So for 22 minutes, he was out of pulse. And, um, obviously they called the ambulance and they, um, they, you know, shocked him a couple times without response. And then on the last cleared attempt, you know, they said, we'll try one more time, um, was when they were able to bring, um, mm. bring a heartbeat back. Um, but so from there, they obviously took him right to the hospital and where were you? Uh, so I was, so at that time we were living with his parents' house Okay. or at his parents' house and, um, Lisa Rader was the one that called me and said, you know, Andrew, well, she, I remember her saying Andrew's passed out and I obviously like immediately started getting dressed and ready to go, but didn't, I didn't know that, you know, it was, I thought in my head when she said that he passed out and then, you know, he'd come right back and, 
you know, if they were on the way to the hospital and, you know, but then she said, no, he's passed out and he's, he's unconscious. And so mm. she said, I'll call you back when, you know, when, when we've got him back. And I remember just every minute that would go by knowing that like, if I'm not getting a call back, that means, you know, he's just laying there lifelessly. Yeah. Um, so I immediately got in a car, um, was with his mom and, um, and drove from Zionsville to Avon because his, his work was in Avon, so on the West side. So it was a good 30 minute drive or so. Um, and met him there, and um, so they were able to um, intubate him and in, in the ambulance and everything. So, um, yeah, so he passed out, and they were, you know, 22 minutes later able to revive him, um, but then, yeah, went to medically induced coma for um, five days. And I, that was obviously incredibly difficult because even in those initial conversations, the doctor's being very realistic and saying, you know, again, those same things that, you know, usually two minutes, you know, someone's probably not making it out there. You know, he was without for 22 That's minutes. Crazy. Um, 22 and, and very much so just, you know, and there was obviously, um, just, I mean, his, there was a lot of swelling in the brain. And so they were like, we think it's very possible the brain will collapse on its stem and then hope he'll, he'll be brain dead. So just having those conversations of, you know, you need to prepare yourself for losing your husband. Um, and, uh, that was obviously just incredibly traumatic and, um, difficult those, those five days. And so, I remember they um, were pulling him out of the coma, so lifting the medicine that was that was sedating him. And um, the process of doing that is they lift the medicine, and then they will kind of start asking questions to the patient and just like feeling on, like, can you move your toes? Can you? And I remember Andrew doing them immediately, uh-huh. um, just no problem. And that was just crazy because again, I've been told for for days that you know you need to be prepared for him to basically, you know, live in this. Were you just sleeping in the hospital? I did not leave. Yeah. I didn't, you know, there was no eating. There was no sleeping. There was just, you know, and and I mean, and so you have, so when someone's in a coma, you have to keep the room really cold and really dark. And so it was just a very, I mean, very literally, but you know, emotionally just dark place of just wondering what's going to happen and expecting the worst. Um, but I knew that no matter what happened, no matter who came out of that coma, like I was going to love him, even if it was, you know, Andrew being a, you know, a vegetable, um, you know, for the rest of his life, it was like, I'll take care of him. Of course, you know? Um, so those five days was a lot of logistically thinking, what does our life look like now? You know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So, but yeah, he kind of, he came out of it pretty unscathed, which is pretty crazy. So a little bit of memory loss for that. And so that, that alone, so that was in July of 2000. 14. Oh, really? So it was just, it was seven months after that initial diagnosis. Oh. Um, but that certain, that event, um, that whole ordeal, again, fed into that faith of we can do this. Um, because it's like, if we can walk out of that, if we can make it through that, then, then of course, you know, then of course we can do this. And even, even just thinking about like, if the Lord wanted to take Andrew, if it was his time, like we felt like, you know, that would have been it. So for us, it was like, clearly Andrew has bigger plans and clearly Andrew has a long life ahead of him because he made it through this. So that alone, I think, um, again, kind of fed into that faith of we're really going to beat this. We're really going to do this. Well, yeah. And then you were given another year and a half with him then. Right. And so after Andrew passed, I certainly remember and still do wrestle with that. Just being like, why now and not then, you mm-hmm. know, why would, why would he be brought through this? And then to only just to go through to all go that through it again. Yeah. And... Um, and, and then, and so again, I wrestled through that, but I certainly think what has, um, been my response to that and, and what has made sense to me is just thinking about the, the further impact he made in that year and a half. Totally. Everything that he did in that last year and a half of his life is just, 
incredible. So thinking, you know, why? That's probably why. And I imagine it has to be so different walking through that in the public eye compared yeah. to someone who's not walking through right. in the public mm-hmm. eye. Very much so. Yeah. And and that was that was hard because Andrew and I, by default, are very private people. Mm. Um, you know, we were used to having some public eyes on just because of who Andrew was in the basketball world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 there were more, you know, times than not when we would go out and Andrew would get stopped and, you know, sure. we would be out on dates and, you know, there would be those would get crashed by people wanting to talk basketball. <laughs> Butler fans. Yeah. Um, and, which, you know, is fine. But um, so deciding to walk through this publicly um, was difficult, but felt like it was important because we wanted, so we blocked our journey. Okay. Cause I was going to say, when you mm-hmm. say you decided, mm-hmm. you started writing about it. Just and began to write about it and just wanted to be authentic mm-hmm. and didn't want to sugarcoat things. Wanted to make it, make the blog and make our story a place where people can, um, especially patients going through it, just, you know, I think that there's so much, there's a lot of good out there, but a lot of, you know, being like, it's fine for us. It's like, this isn't fine. Mm. You know, this sucks and it's Mm -hmm. hard. Um, and so being really open and honest about the journey, um, about the good times and the bad times. Um, but then also just, you know, it also became a good place for people to stay connected Mm -hmm. and support Andrew. Um, and to know exactly how to pray, how to support him, how to be there for him. Um, so it became a really great tool for us and I think a really good resource for other people. Do you feel like it was added stress or do you feel like it was added support? Both. Yeah. Both. A hundred percent. Um, we got to a really good place with, so I did the majority of the writing. Mm -hmm. Andrew did a couple of of posts there. I forced him to, but (laughs) aren't you so glad you did? Because those are his words now. Absolutely. I still go back. So on, on a side note on that site, um, are about us, you know, we wrote each other's. And oh, so I, love I that. still will go back and, so and read through that. So yeah, really great that I forced his hand a couple yeah. times. But um, definitely both a stress and a relief. It, it was it was nice to be able to control the story. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So when Andrew initially got diagnosed, there was a lot of misinformation out there. Sure. Because we got when we got home, um, people didn't know we were home for a couple months and we didn't make that public um um, I think for about a month. And so we got to a point where it was a really healthy, not routine, but, um, where we would kind of get news and then we would take a good week or two to process before publicly saying anything. So mm-hmm. when things were put out on our, on our blog or, you know, through social media, a lot of times we had known about it and we had processed it for you know weeks and, and that sort of thing. So that became kind of a nice tool for us to be able to, again, kind of control it and let people know how they can be supporting him. So that was nice. Um, but then there were times where it was stressful because people just wanted to know and they did want, and again, good hearts and good intentions, but yeah, like what's an update, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so again, just having to remind ourselves that they were coming from a good place and they yeah. did it because they cared, but it added stress sometimes. People get nosy on social media. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and people I think can think, think they can push boundaries uh-huh. a bit more and it'd be okay. Yeah. Um, so that is the downfall of social media, certainly. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, and you aren't vague posting or anything, but you know, and like someone posts on social media, like pray for me, right. it doesn't tell anybody right. why. And then you've right. got all the people posting saying, why, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, what's going like, on? Give me an update. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you guys, I mean, everybody knew Andrew was sick, mm-hmm. but they kind of probably wanted the, yeah. the, the, all the rundown. Mm-hmm. And more so um, with like treatment and that yeah. for us, 
for us became really clear that that was not something we wanted to publicly put out there because mm. everybody has their opinion mm-hmm. and that's really, really frustrating when you're yeah. just trying to do the right thing for you and, um, and not needing that stress of second guessing and, you know, things that would go against, you know, doctors. And I, I totally admit that certainly as treatment didn't feel like it was working, part of my mind was like, okay, what were people saying again? Like, yeah, you know, like what sure. do we need to explore? So it just kind of jumbled the things and unnecessarily kind of, you know. And that's an added stress too. Exactly. Thinking, Should we be doing that? Right. Why didn't we right. do that? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. From living in Indianapolis, watching you guys walk through this, seems like the Butler basketball team, Brad Stevens, mm-hmm. that whole, I mean, it seemed like that was a huge support huge, system for you. Huge. And I don't know if I just mm-hmm. feel that way because I was watching, mm-hmm. but was it? Well, and I'm, I'm glad that it, it came across that way because that certainly was the case. Um, we never felt, um, you know, abandoned by them just because he graduated mm-hmm. and, you know, wasn't technically part of the team, like very much so was loved and a part of the community. And, um, yeah, Brad, you know, honestly, outside of family, Brad Stevens and, and Tracy, his wife, reached out more than anybody, um, you know, almost a call a week just checking in and seeing what they can do. Uh, Brad took a lot of trips here in Indy, and um, he actually ended up, so towards the, that last week of Andrew's life, Brad and, and Ron Norad, another former player at Butler, um, that was one of his last conversations of in and out of coherency was with them. Really, um, and that just speaks to you know the important and, and that visit that was Brad's um, first game that he had ever missed as an NBA coach. Um, it was and it was that important to him to to get. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. I that was so yeah about that. Right? Yeah, absolutely, it was a big deal um, because he didn't say obviously why he was leaving. Obviously, people eventually put two and two together, but um, Brad actually was. And we're going through his schedule, seeing that he had a game that day. And so he had initially scheduled his flight back or to Indy the day after that game that he ended up missing. Um, and I remember him calling me the night before that visit or something like that. Um, and getting an, I, I told him kind of that things were looking how they were. And he said, you know, okay, I'm coming. And I was like, wait, I was like, do you mean like now? Cause I was just trying to think like logistically, I was like, or do you, I was like, you mean in a couple of days? He's like, no, I'm like, I'm. I'm getting on a plane right now. And I remember asking him later, like, I remember saying, like, you didn't have to do that. Like, you know, you really didn't need to do that. And he, he's, he's walked through um, some sickness in his life with, with Tracy's family. And so he said, I remember how quickly things progress. And I remember how the drugs kind of affect things. So he's like, so I didn't want to miss mm. any opportunities or moments with him. Um, so that just in and, of, in and of itself speaks to Brad's heart and, and their support um, in, in the Butler community. It's such a tight community. So tight. And, and it's crazy how hard, I mean, it's not crazy to believe, but just how hard every single person took it because mm. everybody cared so deeply. Yeah. Um, it, I, 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 there's just no exaggeration of that. Everybody felt um, so much pain and so much sadness as things progressed and ultimately he passed. Um, people felt like they really lost a friend and really felt like they had lost someone they knew. And, um, it, it's just because the Butler community is so, so tight knit. Um, even his, his funeral, there were obviously a lot of Butler people there. Um, and a lot of, and the whole team was there. So a lot of people that didn't play with or kids that hadn't played with Andrew, but, um, you know, at the time coach Holtman, uh, he was like, it was important for a boy. I needed them to see what our community is about mm-hmm. obviously devastating how how they need to see this and how you know the circumstances in which we're all brought together but you know we care for each other in the good times and the bad um and even the night of andrew's service one of the most 
special things that I've ever have have been a part of. Um, Brad Brad Stevens ended up putting together a dinner after the um, after the service just for anybody that had played with Andrew or had coached with Andrew. And so I went to that after, and everybody, every single person got up and told an Andrew story and, like, how that impacted their life. And it was incredible to be surrounded by the men that shaped Andrew, Mm -hmm. um, that had shaped who he was. Um, I will never forget that night. And that was, obviously, you think about, like, I remember the night before Andrew's service. I mean, like, how does how does somebody even spend, like, what do I do after, what do I do? Um, and so for as crappy of a night, you know, that that was, like, that was as good of, you know, just being surrounded by family yeah. um, and just seeing the impact that Andrew made. A lot of the stories I had heard before, but it was fun <laughs> to hear from their, like, from other people's perspective. And then I heard ones that I hadn't heard before. And that which was fun because, again, because Andrew and I were so close and because we had been together, always um there were times <laughs> where like, like yeah so it's like I don't even like I, I, you can't tell me anything new about you and there were times there were a couple of stories that golly I laughed so hard and just to be able to say like I laughed yeah on the night of sure. my husband's funeral like that's crazy and again that speaks to that Butler family being so tight definitely raw and then totally emotional because yeah. you'll laugh and then you're like was that okay that I laughed yeah um and and then I think the biggest um, hurdle for me with joy, again, is that things that joy just isn't as deep. Like, I have not um, laughed as hard as I have, you know, with, with Andrew. And even, like, looking back on pictures, um, sometimes, like, seeing pictures of myself with Andrew um, and just seeing that, like, genuine joy and smile be like, I don't even recognize her. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even feel like I've smiled like that um, and just missing um, that, like, true deep joy. So certainly, um, you feel moments of laughter and happiness again, and they're good when they come and they're necessary, but it's also tinged with a lot of bitterness too, because it Mm -hmm. reminds you of how shallow that feels in comparison. Mm. Was, tell me about, was he, what were some of your favorite things about Andrew? He was so funny. Yeah. I think that's why. I wish I would, I wish, I wish I would have met him. And I will like, honestly, whenever I I do anything with anybody that hadn't met him, it's just like, I just wish like anybody. And that's the thing, like anybody that ever met Andrew or even like knew him for a second or had come in contact with him, just loved him. Yeah. Loved him to pieces. And I love that I will meet people. Like even now I'll do interviews and the cameraman will come up to me and be like, Hey, can I tell you an Andrew story? Just because like Andrew, what was wonderful about Andrew is that he was so great and that um, he made everybody feel important and everybody loved and gave him their, gave them his undivided attention. Mm-hmm. So even like when we go out on dates yeah. um, and it would be 30 minutes later and he's still carrying this conversation, I'm sitting over there being like, all right, <laughs> come on, on now. He's like, my husband. He's my husband. <laughs> Food's getting cold. Andrew, like not involved, just being like, this is, you know, this is important. Yeah. Um, so just genuine and good to the core. Like that is just the best way I can describe it. Andrew was just good to the core. Like just the best human being I've ever met in my entire life. So funny. Oh my goodness. Like biggest goofball ever. Um, and just loving and just genuinely cared about everybody really deeply. That's one of, I feel that's one of the best qualities in a person is when they make mm-hmm. the other people feel important, important. Mm-hmm. anybody. Yeah. Feel important. And, and Andrew was great because it was never to feed his own ego and it wasn't ever to do or for them to in turn, make him feel important. Right. You know, it was, you know, he would have the conversation with them and then afterwards, you know, end the conversation. It never needed to circle back to how he was doing or what he was up to and that sort of thing. He just genuinely cared. 
um, and genuinely loved people, and he was just extremely selfless. And so I think that's why that translated into his life is because his heart was genuinely selfless. Yeah. Oh, I'm sad that I never got to meet him. I wish I had an Andrew story to give you. Good egg, that one. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Throughout the whole journey, you talk about your faith a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of tell me about your journey with faith and believing in God? 100%. Yeah. So, um, like I said before, I grew up in kind of a rough home life, but was really blessed in that, again, I had people in my life, my grandparents that would show up to our house and take us to church every Sunday. Um, and then Andrew's family was always pretty rooted in faith and that was a pretty solid foundation for him. But I remember Andrew always feeling very much so, um, like his faith had never been tested and that everything in life for him was pretty easy because honestly, up to that point, like it, it was, he grew up in a great family, went to great schools. Um, worked hard like it wasn't things were handed to him he worked really hard um but always felt really blessed and um and yeah uh, never felt challenged in his faith I guess uh and and so I'm, I'm quite the opposite in that I had always felt challenges and hardships um but my faith was always what saw me through that always and so when we began this journey Andrew's um Andrew's lens of of faith certainly had to um shift a little bit and really find where its roots were and if it was as solid as they thought it was. And it, it was. It, um, it, it really was. And it certainly grew his faith. Um, now, were there times where, you know, because of faith, it, it made things seem less, like it made less sense? Absolutely. You know, it was one of those, like, we had done, you know, everything as well as we could. We had followed the Lord. We have been faithful. So why? Mm-hmm. You know, so certainly there, there's that tension, there's that back and forth of it seeing us through a lot of things, but then also inciting a lot of questions of, of why. Um, and then an interesting dynamic that I'm actually really thankful for, um, because I had walked through hardships and I had, you know, kind of been through a lot. I, I remember in the beginning almost feeling like it was my responsibility to show Andrew how to do that. Mm. Um, and, but it feels really silly now because ultimately it was him, you know, teaching me everything all along and, and being that example for me. But it, we definitely relied on each other and in, in, in each other's faith too. Um, because there were times where, um, he would be really strong in faith and I would be stuck in the why and stuck in the, this isn't fair mm-hmm. and why God. And then vice versa, you know, being like Andrew having those same why questions and then, you know, me circling back to, you know, this is truth and this is what we know to be true of who the Lord is and, and what our faith is and what it means. So, um, just being really solid individually with our, with our walk in the Lord. And then as a married couple was just really crucial for us. And we, I don't think we would have made it through those two years. And I can say for myself, I wouldn't have made it over the past year and a half without that faith. Um, and, and some of the sweetest moments that we had, um, over our two-year journey was, you know, reading the Bible together and, and, um, and doing devotionals and just praying together, you know, doing that every single night. And that was just a really, really precious time for us. And, um, certainly again, I think ultimately strengthened not even just our marriage, but our walk with the Lord. Do you think it makes death less scary because you believe? Yes, a hundred percent because I know where Andrew is. Um, but again, that tension of feeling like it shouldn't have gone this way then, mm-hmm. you know, because you, know? you believe because and we you were faithful because we were faithful. So why exactly? So again, like I won't sit here and be like, I've got all the answers and it's fine because it's, you know, there, it is not well with my soul sometimes, Yeah, you know? Um, but certainly one of the biggest things that I have learned over the past year and a half 
is that I can't let emotions lead, um, that things have to be a choice. So there are days where I do not want to get out of bed, but I choose to anyway. There are Sundays where I don't want to go to church and I don't want to worship, but knowing what, what I need to do, what's, what's truth and what's, you know, um, what's going to ultimately make me a, healthy, a healthier, happier person. Um, so just choosing joy and choosing to step into things even when you don't feel like it. Because if you're waiting on emotions to come, you'll be waiting for a long time. Um, I remember initially in this grief process, just kind of doing that, waiting for emotions to pass or for me to feel better. And then, but then just being like, Sam, like, that's not going to come for a very long time. So what are you going to do till then? You're just going to stay in bed. Mm-hmm. It's not an option. Mm-hmm. So just really choosing to step into things, even when it's difficult, even when you don't feel like it, just choosing to do it anyway. One of my favorite quotes is something, it's something along the lines of our joy does not have to be based on our circumstances. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Because you could really be in the mud and the muck for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And when I think about Andrew, um, I think of joy. Yeah. Even through sickness. Um, I'll go back and um, watch videos that we took and he'll, he'll be bald, which, you know, which in, would, you know, in, and sick and yes. still like I can see that laughter and that joy. And so when I think about, um, yeah, just having joy, even, even in the face of certain, you know, really hard circumstances, like it's a hundred percent possible. What, what is, how have you, how have you mended your relationship with God? Like, God, why'd you do this yeah. to me? Why'd you let this happen to yeah. me? Certainly a process. And yeah. one that I think will be a lifelong process. I think a big thing for me has been just feeling and knowing peace and that, like, the Lord is bigger than all my anger and all my... Like, I can throw those questions at Him. I can say, you know, this isn't fair. Um, and, you know, have a temper tantrum. And He's bigger than that. And He's okay with that. Um, for me, it was a matter of still having the conversation with the Lord versus, like, just shutting it off. Um, and I won't lie. Like there are times where it's just like, there are times where, like I don't want to talk to the Lord. Like I have nothing to say. Like I'm angry that you, cause I don't feel like you protected, you know, Andrew, I don't feel like you protected me. Um, but again, just knowing and relying on what I know to be true and that, that he's good and that he's faithful. And that I know that when I get on the other side of heaven of all this, that I'm going to kind of see big picture that right now I can't see big picture and I don't understand why all this has happened. And I don't expect to understand why all this has happened, but I know in my heart when I get to heaven and that this is what Andrew's already experienced being in heaven is that I'll be like, okay, I get it. Like I see the impact. I see the why. I see the people that this, you know, helped and saved because I've already heard countless stories of people saying like, I've come to the Lord through Andrew or, you know, I've, I've walked through a hardship a lot easier because of Andrew. And I feel so blessed that I get those stories. Um, my heart really hurts for people that never get to hear of impact of their loved one. Mm-hmm. So that has been a really positive side of doing mm-hmm. this publicly is that I get stories every day of how Andrew That's impacted amazing. them. And that has been huge in my healing process. And they always come along on really hard days mm-hmm. and almost like little nods, little wings of being like, see, it's fine. Like, you know, so it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel right. And I never expected to, but just trusting that, you know, bigger picture, this is this is going to make sense someday. Do you have a favorite like song or Bible verse? Or? So yeah, the one that um, Andrew and I really clung to, um, Exodus fourteen fourteen, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, um, which was hard for us to be still. Yeah. Um, again, both as fixers and both of just wanting to, you know, find a solution, but again, just surrendering in, into, into the process and surrendering into the fact that like ultimately none of us have any control over anything. 
um, and just knowing that the Lord um, is going to vouch for you and is going to fight for you. So that became a verse that we clung on to as we were walking through the journey. Um, and then since Andrew passed, um, the verse in Joshua, um, you know, courage or be, be strong and courageous. Um, in the first chapter of Joshua alone, I think it says that like four times, mm. be strong and be courageous. And that has been something that I have, again, had to choose to do because there are certain days I don't feel like being strong and I don't feel like being courageous, but knowing like that's what's commanded of me and that's ultimately what's going to lead me to a a more fulfilling life. Is Andrew on your mind when you wake up? Right when I wake up, right when I go to bed every day. Um, I write Andrew a letter every day. Um, And so, and usually, and so I usually do that in the evening time, but um, sometimes it's just when I can, when I can do it that day. Do you do it on the computer or handwrite? No, I handwrite. Um, So uh, I've got a a book full of letters. And so that's, that's something that, so yeah, I think about him right when I wake up and, and right when I, when I go to sleep. Um, And, and I don't know, you know, when that would ever change. Um, Do I think that it will at some point? Yeah. Just, you know, knowing, being realistic. Um, but yeah, he is always, always on my mind. Always. So I don't want to move away from Andrew because I don't know. I get the sense, I get the feeling that you probably like to talk about him. I love talking about Andrew. And I think that's, um, something that people maybe shy away from when Mm -hmm. they're with somebody that's grieving. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing that I think that a lot of people would want them or that their friends or family to know is that. They already feel they are very much so aware of their lack of their of their absence. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, let's not feed into that. You mm-hmm. know, like let's not pretend like he didn't he wasn't here. And it hurts more to not talk about him. You mm-hmm. know, it hurts more to just you know feel like everybody's going on with their lives because you already feel that way so much. Sure. So it it truly does. Like again, is it tinged with sadness? Absolutely. It's a hundred percent bittersweet. But. I would, you know, want to talk, I would talk about him all day. Yeah. You know, coming off the funeral and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you start going back? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of into a routine now, right? It's been a year and a half, but like, how do you yeah. go back to so, living life? And that was, that was honestly, uh, probably the most difficult part, uh, because there was nothing for me to resume. Mm. Um, we had picked up our lives. We moved overseas. Um, I quit my job and, um, then we came back and he was sick and I, you know, I was caregiver. So there was literally nothing to resume. There was nothing where I could be like, Oh, before Andrew, I did this because before Andrew was when I was 14, 15 years old. I don't want to go back to awkward (laughs) tween years. Um, and just, you know, that's just, is a different life, you know, circumstance. So that was definitely the most difficult and continues to be the most difficult thing is that there was nothing to go back to, to Mm -hmm. feel like, okay, remember when this was normal or remember when, you know, we, you know, you would do this, Mm -hmm. um, and it feeling like a little bit more, again, routine and, and natural, uh, so for me, it was a total reset, and that was, and it is really difficult. Um, the first month after Andrew passed, I um, stayed with family. Okay. Um, and didn't, so the first month I didn't, um, didn't come back to the house. Uh, well, a week after he passed, I needed pictures for for the for the service. So I came back with um, with family. Okay. Um, there were four of us here, and just literally grabbed pictures, sat on the couch and cried quite a bit, um, and then left. And then, um, the big thing that the biggest, the most consistent point of advice that I always got was to never make big decisions in the first year. Mm. And I totally agree with that sentiment. So the house was something I knew, um, I didn't want to make any big decisions with. I didn't want to sell it and I didn't want to settle on keeping it either. Um, but with that being said, I knew I wanted to come back and, and live here. 
Um, and I had a lot of people tell me like, why don't you just rent it out for the year and then revisit the conversation? But for me, it was, um, it was the thing where it was like the band-aids already been ripped off. I don't want it to scab over and then have to revisit it. So for me, it was like just running towards that roar of pain and being like, if I'm in it, I'm in it. And I'm just going to deal with it head on. So a month after he passed that first month, I saved the family and then I came back here. Um, the first couple weeks, my sister, um, would stay every now and then. Um, but for me, again, it was just being like, this sucks, but stepping into it, Mm -hmm. um, and being like, you know, they're going to be really, really hard times. And there were, um, and it still, it still is, you know, it's a, it's a good size house for just me and the dogs. And, uh, what hurts most about this house isn't the memories that we made, um, because those are really, really, you know, beautiful and important, but more so just like what hasn't and what didn't happen in the house. Um, the fact that the bedrooms are empty upstairs, you know, they're not filled with kids. Um, the fact that I don't hear the creaky floors under, you know, his weight. Um, that's the hard stuff about the house. And, um, so there are days where, yeah, I certainly question like, (laughs) is this healthy? (laughs) But again, just being like, all right, this is your choice. And you know, you're going to do it as well. And as strong as courageously as you can. I saw recently, well, I saw you post about, um, the helping hands project. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. so cool. So neat. I've so heard neat. I heard of it a few years ago. Okay. I had never heard adapting. of it. I had never heard of it. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell everybody a little bit? Yeah. So the organization is called Both Hands. Oh, Both um, Hands. The But the idea is one hand for an orphan and one hand for a widow. So um, there's a couple, John and Amy Riley, who um, they are adopting um, a beautiful boy named Samuel um, in Ethiopia. And they partnered with Both Hands. And so the idea is that they fundraise for the or, or for the adoption through serving a widow in their community. Um, both John and Amy went to Butler, so they oh, um, initially knew, they thought of me initially is what they told me. And so actually this Saturday, they're coming and just... This Saturday? Uh-huh, they're doing things around the house that um, Andrew and I would have done together. Things that um, have been hard to either physically do by myself or um, to even emotionally think about doing. Mm. Things like landscaping, the things that were Andrew's like favorite things, things to do. Things that you say, hey, can you go mow right. the lawn or hey, right. can you go do this? Right. Um, so it's just a really, really neat organization that I just didn't really know existed, but um, really, really cool. Well, when you say helping an orphan and a widow, you think of like an 80-year-old woman. Right. And that's, I mean, <laughs> I think that's what I've... Um, what's just been really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of interesting layers to our story, but, um, yeah, redefining widowhood. Yeah. Um, and, and what that looks like, because since, you know, I have become such a young widow, I've connected with other young widows. Sure. Um, and widowers and, you know, and, and seeing their journey. So, because a hundred percent before this, it was, you, you think of widowhood and you think of elderly and, you know, yeah. they lived their full life with their spouse and, you know, they'll, likely be you know behind them in a few years that sort of thing but for for me now it's in theory a lot of years ahead do you feel like this is your calling to then in five years ten years be a support to other people who've walked through like other widows who are 25 years Mm -hmm. old um no I certainly feel my calling into help people in general um, but I know in my heart of hearts that my life can't be about cancer. Got it. Um, that being a widow isn't my identity. Identity. It's what helps me identify with people going through pain, but it's not who I am. Um, it's not going to be what defines me as a person. Um, so do I feel that calling to come alongside people in general that are walking through hardships? Yes. Yes. But not specific to, to, mm. um, will that again be inclusive to, to cancer patients and to widows and widowers? Yes. 
But do I feel like that is the area that I am spending my life in? No. Um, yeah. I, I don't feel like that would be healthy. And I, and you know, I just know that my life can't be about cancer. Yeah. What are your dreams um, beyond what was taken from and you? And that's what's difficult is because my dreams are still the same. Yeah. And that's what's really hard um, is just because your loved one dies doesn't mean all those dreams go with them. You know, so it's still really difficult to want everything I can't have. Um, and so even the idea of dreaming new dreams and, and finding new passions, it's, you know, really difficult because again, what you really want, what you're really passionate about, you can't have. Um, so it's almost just, just this impossible feeling of, okay, what are we going to settle for? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm trying really hard to get into a healthy place of just shifting and being like, all right, what's option B and embracing it as much Mm -hmm. as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, again, not even being like, what's going to be as good because let's be honest, like my life with Andrew, I I don't feel like anything's ever going to match that. Um, so what's, what's the next, you know, what can we step into, you know, next? So that idea of like not trying to replace dreams, but just kind of being like, all right, this sucks and it is what it is, but what are we going to do? Yeah. You know, what am I? Yeah. Yeah. So right now for me, that looks like, you know, public speaking and, Mm -hmm. and writing, um, and empowering people. That's really what I feel called to, to do again, not specific to widowhood, but just empowering people, um, young girls, women, that's certainly where my heart is always has been. So, um, just kind of seeing where the Lord takes me with that. So you recently did a TEDx talk. I did. Yeah. So tell me about that. Crazy. Yeah. Um, just the idea. I remember that day doing a TED talk and like, what is my life? Like what in the world? <laughs> how is this also, how is this happening? And also like, it's only downhill from here because like, as far as public speaking goes, <laughs> it's like pretty amazing. TED talk, I don't know that you get much higher than that. What was you your uh, topic and everything? Yeah. So, um, it emotionally fell on our wedding anniversary. Um, so I remember when they reached out about doing the TED talk, um, I was like, of course. And then they're like, all right, it's May 18th. I was like, oh, of course it is. I'm like, of course it, of course it's on our wedding anniversary. So, um, walking through our journey, um, was, you know, the beginning of it. And then the end was really a call to action of helping cancer patients with the bone marrow registry, because mm-hmm. that was something Andrew and I became really passionate about. And, and I certainly still am. Um, so it was, you know, sharing our journey, sharing about Andrew and how living life, um, like him, you know, takes you a long way. Um, and a lot of my focus was on, um, this idea of not getting caught up in, um, the expectations of what you think your life is going to look like, because you might miss some really big things. Um, when I think about our lives and how in our head, we very much so were sure that our journey and our impact was rooted in basketball and rooted in travel and helping people overseas. Um, but had we been so close fisted and so angry about the loss of that dream, we would have missed on impacting people in a different way. Mm. Um, and just really feeling that conviction of the fact that people are dependent, um, on you being who you are and doing the things that you need to do, um, for their own lives. People that you're never going to meet, you know, like thinking about the, um, you know, the people that have been matched for a bone marrow registry since we started raising awareness, um, you know, a two year old boy, you know, a young girl, people that are having a second chance at life because of what Andrew, you know, wanted to get behind. And so just the idea that like, what if we hadn't, what if we hadn't done this publicly? And what if we hadn't become advocates for this bone marrow registry? Like there's a good chance that those kiddos might not have lived. And that doesn't say anything about us. It just says something about like the idea of, again, not getting caught up in the expectation because you might miss, you know, your real calling or what you're, you thought you guys were doing this Mm -hmm. and this is what, Mm -hmm. what, what what ended up making an impact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, now tell me about that really quick because he did have a bone marrow transplant. He did, and it mm-hmm. didn't. It failed. Is that kind of essentially? How does that? Um, so 
Yeah. Uh, essentially, it failed. More so, the, the cancer transformed leukemia. Okay. Um, but, but essentially, yes, his, his bone marrow transplant failed. Um, but even so, with a bone marrow transplant failing, it still buys time for patients. Okay. So it's still important. So even when I think about some of the conversations that we had, like really important conversations, I don't know that we would have gotten... If you know, if he hadn't got that, we have we would one more Christmas together. Mm. Uh, I don't know that we would have gotten that had he not gotten a bone marrow transplant. Um, and then it obviously works for some people. Some people live healthy, long lives after getting a bone marrow transplant. So the importance of it is just off the charts. Well, and I think there's a misconception that to yeah. donate yeah. is painful. Right. Or... So to actually get on the registry in, a, in and of itself is so simple. It's a, you know two minutes of filling out your information of like this is who I am and just saying generally you know I'm a healthy person and then you swab your cheek four times with a q-tip and send it on its way you're on the registry um so it's incredibly easy and then as far as like actually donating um bone marrow 90% of the time it's as easy as um getting two IVs in each arm it's like getting blood but they're not taking out blood they're taking out marrow and then it goes back into your system without the marrow but it's literally two IVs in, in your arm for a couple hours and that's it um, and then the very small chance um, that you're matched with an infant, they will um, mildly sedate you and then just um, get a little bone marrow in your back, just through, a, again, through a needle. Um, but it's, you know, not as simple as the IV. But again, you still walk out that day. So like Chase Tegall, who was another former um, teammate of Andrews at Butler, he ended up joining the registry on, at Andrews Funeral Service. Um, because that was something we wanted to do, just making that. Oh, you did people. like yeah. We had like a, a drive there, pretty much. So oh, we had cool. a table for people to sign up if they wanted to. So Chase Degall was one of those people. In August of last year, he got a phone call saying, "Hey, there's a two-year-old boy that you know has been matched with you." So Chase, a couple months later, went to the hospital, um, was sedated just for a little bit, and then walked out two hours later. Um, he said, at most, the next day he felt like he slipped on ice, but then was back to work the next day. Like it wasn't. It was just not a major deal. And so when you think about the fact that now that little boy. Like, those parents don't have to bury their two-year-old boy. Yeah. You know, that little boy gets to potentially, you know, get married someday and live this whole life. And so, again, just keeping perspective of the fact that it's so easy to join and then easy to give and it's painless. And Why are we not all on the registry? Right, exactly. I'm not on the registry. It's so I feel embarrassed saying that. Well, it, it, people just don't know. And that was a thing. And that was the biggest thing for us, for us was just, like, if people knew then of course they would do Why this. would you not do it? Exactly, because the blood registry, you know, to be a blood donor, like, that list is millions and millions, but this registry is pretty small, and so the sad part about it so is that... So then your lot to, of picks is right. like... So that, that's a sad thing, is that there are people waiting on their match and dying because they're not Okay, I'm signing person. up today. Let's do it. Sign up. 100%. Oh, my gosh. So a really easy way to do is this... Is it scary? I do, sometimes I feel like people get scared to sign up because they're, they're like... Does that mean something's going to happen to me or... Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for people that sign up is just knowing, like, if you do get that call, that you would be willing to do it. Because otherwise, you get that call or the family is told there's a match and then mm. there's sometimes there's the patients... You say no. Yeah, people say no. And then it's like, oh, so you had a chance. And Why you would don't. you say no, though? Is there I mean, any reason? I honestly don't you're know. Because you're fearful of a needle? Or? Uh, yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, mm. So that's, like, kind of the biggest thing if you sign up is just knowing that, hey, like... If you I'm might called, get a call. Yeah, and that could be in a few months. It could be in 10 years, you know, that kind of thing. But it's so easy, actually. Um, so Butler, again, being really great, they set up, um, it's called Project 44. So Andrew wore number 44 jersey okay. at Butler, and the idea behind Project 44 is to save 44 lives. Mm-hmm. So to do that, though, um, the ratio is for every 430 people that join, one person gets called. Okay. So 
in order we to need 18,920 people. And how many do they have signed up? Um, a few thousand. So, okay. and we've gotten multiple matches. Which so, is should we go incredible. through that right, that way instead to like help them? So, with well, their goal? so okay. So, what's easy about that is that if you text Andrew to three eight four seven zero, okay, it will immediately send you a link, and then they'll send you like a packet to and do that, and then you just mail it back. And that'll go towards like the Butler. Yep. Train. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. And That's then awesome. you can even if you just Google like Project Forty Four, yeah. Andrew Smith, whatever you know. So many people are getting behind it and are, are, you know, willing once they realize how easy it is, you know, to join. So that's so amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's probably a very small percentage of people listening that actually are on the registry, huh? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. If, yeah. I mean, I'm talking very slim. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, another heartbreaking part about it is that Andrew got a match, um, pretty quickly because he is a young white male. Okay. Um, the, the more diverse your background is. Um, your chances go way, way down. So in Europe, um, it's really interesting when you turn 18 there, um, it's a given that you join that registry. Really? It's, it's, so Andrew's, um, donor was overseas. So I don't know what it is about their culture, but it's just like a, that's just what they do. Um, so a lot of your matches are, you know, those European white young males. Mm. Um, but I remember we were at a doctor's appointment one day and, um, our doctor told us like, Hey, you know, Andrew, if, if, Roles were reversed and Sam was sick. I can almost guarantee you she wouldn't she wouldn't get a match. Oh. Um, and that just did not sit well with Andrew. That like really lit a fire under his butt. Uh. I was like, that's just not fair. Yeah, because what's your background? Yeah, so my mom's from Thailand okay. and my dad is German Irish. Okay. Um, so I you know, I'm a you know, have a, a diverse background. Yeah. And so the idea for uh, in Andrew's mind of me being sick and me sitting there waiting and, you know, potentially passing away waiting was just like, that's not okay. Yeah. Um, and so really became a lot of reason and, and fire behind him getting behind this cause. Yeah. Okay. We are going to push that for sure. Cool. You have a tattoo. I have, yeah. Couple. Oh, you have a couple. You have yeah. the one courage to your heart. Uh-huh. Can you tell everybody about that a little bit? Yeah. So that is a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, and it's one that again, i that has just been a mindset that I've had to intentionally walk into every day. Uh-huh. There have been times where I've literally been like courage your heart, like just saying it to myself. Um, and whether that be struggling to get out of bed or getting up and doing a Ted talk, you know, it just, there are so many instances in life where you just have to choose to intentionally have that mindset of just walking into something, even if it's hard and doing it as gracefully and as courageously as you can. Mm. And then your, um, your Instagram, I, I wrote this down cause I, it's so funny prepping for interviews. I, I seriously use Instagram for so much because people well, it's kind of when you get like that, you're like stalking with a purpose. Yeah. And you kind of like, you know, anymore, not everybody, but you know, I see it in your Instagram a little bit and I do in my own, like kind of just put my, put my story out there mm-hmm. and, and Instagram kind of has turned into a little bit of a mini blog for some for people. For sure. Uh-huh. You know? 100%. Yeah. But it, be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire is mm-hmm. what the quote mm-hmm. is on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? So after Andrew passed, um, and again, I, in my head, was like, all right, let's get through this first year. Let's not make any big decisions, but, like, let's just get through it. Um, but as that, when that day came and went, um, so he passed on the 12th. I remember waking up on the 13th and being like, all right, you got, you had your year, so now what? Um, and there was, that was all self-inflicted pressure of just feeling like, okay, what now? Um, but when I think about how that felt and kind of how that almost inside a little bit more hopelessness 
just realizing that like it was just a year and like it doesn't mean anything necessarily you know yeah. what I mean like it doesn't all of a sudden you're not like okay I've had my year I'm good and yeah. you know so but but thinking about making it through that first year and then being like okay what direction what do we do you know what are you doing here um that was the question I asked myself like what in the past year has made your heart be a little bit faster what has kind of what a little bit of spark in, into your heart again and for me that became public speaking it became speaking to college age girls about you know the comparison game that they're in and, mm. and empowering women that are walking through hardships or you know that is what when I looked back on the last year was the only thing that I really felt alive in um, I remember I did an event um, at Holland University with a group of maybe 150 college age students um, I did it with um, Jordan Lee she's a pretty popular blogger and writer herself and I remember being up there and for the first time thing like, um, and we were talking about comparison and, and how we all fall into that trap. But I remember standing up there and thinking, I could do this forever. Like I could, I could do this forever. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was just, it was, it was just being fearless in the pursuit of, of what was setting my soul on fire again. When did you put that quote on your Instagram? Um, probably shortly after that. Okay. Uh, before then, it, I think it was just our blog uh-huh. link. Uh-huh. And so even that was um, a, a marker of a decision to to remove that link, um, in which I'm going to be replacing uh-huh. with my new website's link. Um, but, but again, even that idea of moving and shifting platforms mm-hmm. was, again, this intentional decision of not shutting a door, but being like, okay, like this isn't going to define you. Um, you know, that sort of thing. And again, not making your entire life and identity rooted in, in something like that. Yeah. It's really exciting that you're yeah moving to that. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I saw that you just launched. Is it launched? Um, by no. the end of this week or early next week, it is. Okay. It yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some, what are some stages you'd like to see yourself on? Like what, what is... What excites you? Um, I love doing women's conferences. Uh, right now, like really the lane that I love is just women. Like I, I love empowering them. I love just speaking to to their struggles. Um, not because I have it all figured out. Not because I'm this old wise woman. I'm 26 <laughs> and you know can barely get dressed some days. But um, just I love meeting people where they're at in life uh-huh. and just encouraging them and empowering them as much as I can. Um, if I can just add a little bit of hope into their journey, like that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for everybody to just kind of identify again, like what makes them happy and what sets their soul on fire. And for me, that's, that's loving people. So, you know, I was driving when I was driving over here. So I went and got some PT work on my foot Okay. and I was up on the Northwest side and I was driving here thinking about our conversation um, and I, I did feel ex- I felt that, like I felt excited Good. I'm and glad you felt that. yeah. And like, I have a babysitter today and yeah. I was just like, I was it's driving like here this, thinking like, purpose. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was driving here thinking, this is so great that, that I get to do this. Exactly. And I think that is such a key verbiage that like, when you can shift that in your mindset that you get to do something, yeah. like it just adds so much life to who you are as a person. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like a... It just, when you can go from doing something that you have to do, something you get to do, it's, uh, I hope everybody at some point in their life gets to that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I used, I remember when my first jobs out of college wake, like, when I would wake up in the morning thinking, Oh, I don't want to go do this. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I know I'm in a fortunate situation that, that I, I get to do this. You know, I'm doing what I love and not everybody 
is in a situation right. where they can right. because you have to go I, to yep, a job absolutely. that you might not like. Yep. Um, so sometimes when I talk about this and say that, I kind of feel like people are like, easy for you to say, Lindsay, yeah. no, you know? Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, I could have had this dream or you could have this dream to speak mm-hmm. and just have it be a dream. Right. And, and then you didn't have to launch it, you know? Right. And I think that's certainly a temptation um, because there, A, because there are those logistical life things, yeah. but then also just kind of the lies of that we feed ourselves that mm-hmm. maybe you're not good enough or that it would never work yeah. or, you know, so just again, being like, for me, um, it was a matter of, are you going to regret not pursuing it? Um, are you going to one day you know, be like, I wonder what would have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, a big thing for me is that I don't ever want to get to the gates of heaven and saying I had anything left. I want to be totally open handed and be like, I did everything I could. I left it all out there. I helped as many people as I could. I loved on many people I could. Um, for me, that's a big driving force in life. It's just feeling at the end of it that I'm empty, that I did everything I could. And I think too, circling back to that is like in the past, maybe I would have been, you know, so I sent you the email that I was a little bit nervous just mm-hmm. because we were going so deep in your yeah. story and it's that's, heavy, it's heavy. Yeah. and like who am I to deserve to sit at your kitchen table mm-hmm. and hear your you know but then I'm dry so I think at, in my younger years I might have been not dreading it but just anxious yeah. and you know yeah. and I'm driving over here today thinking oh my gosh I get to do this mm-hmm. I get to get to know you more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what an opportunity that is because mm-hmm. in any other circumstance I met you at the the many, uh-huh. but uh-huh. when else would I right. get to sit down right. and have right. the honor to actually talk to you and hear your story face to face? All right, everybody. Such a good conversation with this awesome lady. I'm loving it. Um, before I continue my conversation with Samantha, though, I want to thank the Ursa Family YMCA for sponsoring this podcast. With summer finally here, the Ursa Family Y has tons to offer you and your family. Get the kids ready for safety in the water this summer with the Y swim lessons. Keep them active and engaged and off the couch over the summer break with programs like gymnastics, summer day camp, cooking camp, chess, and basketball camps presented by the Indiana Pacers and Eric Gordon. If you're looking to spice up your workout, try MX4 small group training, TRX, or BAR, a total body workout that incorporates Pilates, dance, and functional fitness training. Whatever you're into, the Ursa Family YMCA has something for you this summer. Visit IndyYMCA.org. And check out the Ursay Family Y. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook, Ursay Family Y. I was just there today when I had a little break in my day. And, man, that's my home base, and I really love it. So check them out. Thank you, Ursay Family YMCA, for supporting my podcast and being such a great community partner. All right, let's carry on the conversation with Samantha. But speaking of that, we met... At yeah. the mini. At the mini. Yes. My first. Not yes. your first rodeo, though. No. But you crushed it. Oh, thanks. And you just had a baby. Yeah. Well, he was like seven months old. Okay. <laughs> you pushed a human out of out of you, and then you bring in a mini seven months later. That's crazy. Yeah. It was it was good. Um, but our we have a mutual friend, uh-huh. Lara. Uh huh. So how do you know Lara? Just from interviews just or interviews? Okay. And through social media. That's how we. That's how we um, came to know each other. But then since like we'll do dinner once every other week. Yeah. Now. So yeah. Well, and that's what, that's what I love about Lara is she is so easy to connect with. But so you were in your first mini. I did. And in this podcast, we do talk about running a lot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. You broke two hours. I did. Yeah. Which was a, that's a big deal for your first half. So I hear, so I just, <laughs> I just didn't have like an expectations, you know, like I genuinely didn't know. I'm not a natural runner. Um, I, it's not, um, it's something that I like to do a lot, but like, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, work I enjoy, but it's work. Mm-hmm. And so I just had no idea what to expect. Um, I 
I didn't know if that was even like, if that was realistic. Um, Why'd you decide to sign up for it? Well, okay. So when we were in Lithuania, um, Andrew was gone playing basketball a lot and would have two practices a day. And I was over there. We brought our dog. Um, but other than that, didn't really have much going on. So that's really when, really when I fell in love with running. I'd get up every morning. He would go to practice, and I would get up with him, and I'd go run seven miles. And then we'd meet for breakfast afterwards. And then, like, that was our routine. So in Lithuania is kind of when I really fell in love with running. And then um, he came back, and obviously he was sick, and so that just became not a priority anymore. But as he got healthier... Um, my goal or what I want, I wanted to run a mini. I wanted to run a half. And so I actually ended up signing for the Monumental here in Indy. Um, and Andrew was really, really excited about that because um, for years I cheered on for him. Mm. I had always been, you know, the one on the sidelines and the always one rooting for him. And so he was so excited to be able to do that. And he was, you know, telling me all the ideas of making shirts and being at different you know, oh, steps, so you, know, you know, checkpoints and things like that. So he was really excited and it became something that we were excited together in and um, and then he ended up getting re-diagnosed and that monumental marathon ended up falling the same date as a transplant. Um, and so we didn't get to do that together. And so even um, even in doing the mini, you know, a few months ago, it was a really emotional thing for me because in my head, the first one was going to be with Andrew on the side. And in my head, I would have all the support when in reality, you know, I ran through and didn't have my person, you know, I didn't have him to meet me at the finish line and, um, those sorts of things. So it was a really emotional thing for me to do, but it was something that I wanted to do. Um, and something that I, again, wasn't going to allow, um, the sadness of this journey to take away from me. Um, and again, it was just another way to push myself. And again, knowing that this isn't a natural strength for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do as, as well as I can. So just stepping into it. But a natural strength for you is CrossFit. Um, <laughs> or you're really good at it. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm athletic, so um, I'm, yeah, it, it goes well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me about CrossFit a little bit. When did you start doing that? So I love, love, love CrossFit, um, kind of obsessively. And it came about um, really just, uh, it has become a very therapeutic and healing thing for me. When I think about, when I think back the past year and a half, I think about the things that really did heal me and CrossFit. It sounds maybe silly, but it was really one of them. Um, because honestly it became the only time of the day where I could shut off my brain mm-hmm. because you're so focused on your physical pain mm-hmm. that, um, you can't think about anything else. And so honestly, that really became, um, a, a moment of rest for me. Um, it became just a really great outlet for me. It became a way to get off of sleeping pills because I would have to take pills to go to sleep. Mm. Um, but I would just go there and work really hard and exhaust myself. So it became a really healthy thing for me. Um, and, um, just fell, fell totally in love with it. I'm a really competitive person. So this is a really great outlet for me, um, to, to plug that into. So you're doing this weekend is the strength in our streets for Wheeler Mission. Yes. So it's my first competition. Okay. I've never done a competition before. Um, so we'll see how it goes. What, <laughs> like, what do you do? I don't even know. And it, it, it this, so this one's different because it's outside. Uh-huh. So, uh, it's not going to look as standard as like a standard CrossFit competition. Okay. So you're not going to be able to do, um, the things on the rig. So, you know, all your pull-ups and muscle-ups and a lot of bar movements uh, or that kind of bar movement, but you'll, you'll do some heavy lifting, um, some Olympic weightlifting moves. Um, and then this year, 
apparently um, they decided to really utilize the jump rope, which is not a good thing for me. Oh, no. Because I'm not good at <laughs> jump roping. So they're doing things like backwards double unders and triple unders, and you're just like, I don't, I can, I know, that sounds terrible. So oh, no. that's when I was like, we'll, we'll really see how it goes. But CrossFit's really great because it's just variations of movement, and mm-hmm. it's always different. And what's really great about this competition is that, like, you aren't totally blind going into it. They'll, they'll give you teasers and they'll give you some workouts, but, like, you just got to be, be ready to adapt. And I love that about CrossFit because mm. that's just kind of life. You just yeah. kind of have to adapt and go and do yeah. your best. So, what's something you're most proud of with CrossFit? Like a skill or something? Because um, I know muscle. I've heard people say like muscle ups. That's like a big deal yeah. when you get a muscle. Yeah, up. It, yeah, that's a pretty big one. So I have bar muscle ups. So for listeners, I don't even know how to describe it. Basically, you're like literally like muscling up your entire body weight on top of a bar, um, and that's just solely through strength, brute strength, and then just getting the movement down. Mm. So that's a pretty big accomplishment. Um, but I think just honestly, when I can throw around some really heavy weight, mm. um, I think going into it, you know, I'm five, I'm five feet tall. Yeah. Five, one and a half. Um, and Andrew was six, six, uh, eleven. Six, eleven. Yeah, so oh pretty, my gosh. Um, so crazy. <laughs> so I'm not this, you know, huge person. So whenever I can really throw around some heavy weight, I'm like, yeah, Bam. yeah, did it. Yeah. Did it. Own it. And then, so as I am continuing to build that way it just feels good every time because yeah. you're con- consistently doing things where you're just like gosh I don't think I ever thought I would throw 160 pounds over my head like oh my gosh more than me, you know yeah. so just again one of those like doing things you didn't think you could do what's some of your favorite music to work out to um I can tell you my least favorite is country okay because there are a couple of coaches that love to play country and I'm oh, like wait, you're I don't want to work out to this you're like this does not give this me fire is not, like the only reason why it's pushing me is because I want to get out of here sooner <laughs> So maybe it works. Maybe it's like a mind game. Um, but honestly, just uh, anything fast paced. I love working out to Skrillex. Oh, and you like rap? I do. Oh yeah, you do too. Which I love like your Instagram stories. Your always have rap like, throwbacks. And it's my favorite thing ever. Um, oh yeah. So because like, you said school. something like if you jaw rule or jaw, something. Oh yeah, jaw rule is like oh that was my main man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, old school R and B and rap. Yeah. Um, and just anything that like really gets you going. I love um, working out to rap. It's just fun. I would prefer that over like I don't really like the um, alternative the like rock. Music. Yeah, that doesn't get me going either. Uh, like it's fine if it's playing, but it's not getting me going. Yeah, to um, me, I'm just like that's that's just noise. It's just noise. Like. Yes. Exactly. I'm not enjoying it. It's I just want noise. like hip hop. Yeah, type. I want to like yeah. So and also um, really. Um, motivational rap mm-hmm. and you know things like mm-hmm. that just you know like I think about forever like by Drake mm-hmm. um, you know that kind of thing so that, that's good stuff the Jay-Z Kanye Pandora yes. station is really, really good solid. Yes. really really solid I and sometimes I even discover new songs on it so fun there was one recently that I discovered and I was like you this show me. You'll tell me what that is. I know I want to look I took a You'll have to I'm talk. actually going to look right now hold on I, I took a screenshot I, I do that too I do that too yeah I'm like oh I gotta I gotta know what this song is yeah like if it comes on let me find it right yeah, I do that all the time. I'll Shazam things. Yes. Which apparently, am I the only one that uses that app anymore? Because I've never I, used it. Okay, to be you honest. would need to use it, especially just really? with like radio stations. Yeah, to be like, what is this? Because I need, and then it saves all your tags, so you can uh, you okay. can use it later. Gotta have it, Kanye West and Jay Z. All right, on the Watch the Throne album. Gotta have Gotta it. Gotta have it. Yeah. Okay. It's good. Maybe I'll throw that on I, tonight. Because I, I actually, I took like 12 days off running because my foot was bothering me. and Which is an eternity for you, right? Actually, it was 16 days. Yes, it was an eternity. <laughs> I did a lot of swimming, but it was my first run back on Monday and I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to put in a new station, Jay-Z, Kanye. And that was the first song that came on and I was just like, like, yes, yes, this, this is, is awesome. This is I've never even heard this song. <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah. good. Now, do you 
sing along or rock along as yes. you run. Okay, I do too. As long as I'm, I'm not sure. like doing a workout. Yeah, like okay. a, like if I'm not like doing a interval or okay. yeah, okay. if I'm just like running. Yeah, and I do oftentimes speed up when. Yeah, you know. so that's what's hard. So you're talking about like pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's but you're really jamming out to a song. Oh so yeah. You're like all right, slow down, slow down, yes. real in, real in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be like running through Meridian Kessler, and uh-huh. I'll be listening to Eminem, and yeah. I'll start oh, yeah. going oh, like yeah. this with my arm <laughs> and singing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, all the all I know. The I do. I'm like moving my hands. Yeah. I'm like, what, are, what what is she doing? And sometimes I do say the lyrics out loud. Absolutely. I'm just, like, jamming out, yeah. zoning out. No, hundred percent. Don't even care. Nope. Like, don't. Sorry if your kids right there don't and I just care. dropped an F bomb. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we need to um, wrap up with our end of the podcast question. Okay. It's so funny how the conversation can go from like so deep to so like, oh my gosh, I love Jay Z. I know it's so good. What and you? Th- we might have already answered this. You know, you're speaking and everything, but what's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you've never done yet? Um. So as far as professionally goes, because that's so like open-ended and I'm so open-minded I don't really have like a professional thing um but as far as like personally uh, and this is a really cliche answer like skydiving like I am a pretty th- like I I am a thrill seeker um and that's honestly become um even a deeper desire since Andrew passed um because there's almost a sense of like a little bit of recklessness, which mm-hmm. sometimes like my mom, especially is like, sure. I need to like reel that in. Yeah. Um, but I, I love doing things that, um, push me. And, mm-hmm. um, I think of skydiving a lot because that was something Andrew never, would never do with me. He was ironically really terrified of heights, Really, but he explained it to me one time and it actually made a lot of sense. So he's 6'11", right? Uh-huh. Everything's so much higher for him. Uh-huh. So when he was talking about like leaning up against a rail, like that goes to like my waist and I feel safe. Yeah. For him, it would go to his mid thigh. he's like, yeah. He's like, if this doesn't, like I could topple over. Uh-huh. So I said that, I was like, okay, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Um, but anyway, skydiving was something he's always like, Sam, like, love you so much, but like, not interested, won't do it. Because you wanted to do it together. I would love to have done it together. Yeah. Um, but he just wasn't interested. So for me... Um, so when I are you going to do it? So I would love to do it in the next year. Would okay. love to do it in the next year. So skydiving, travel, I would really love to travel and do more mission-based um, and, ser- you know, servant-based um, you know, trips. That's, that's really on my to-do list. Mm. It's really important for me. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Um, I, I, you know, I think just that something that I've, that I've learned again, because something that I've wrestled with as I've stepped into more, um, public speaking in that realm, um, and the the insecurities that come up with that of, again, like what makes me different and Mm -hmm. why would I do that? Sure. Um, I think something that I'm, I'm learning that I really hope that everybody kind of eventually comes to on their own is that like. The world needs what you uniquely have to offer. That you were made so individually and so specifically that, like, the world needs you to, to do something. You know what I mean? Like, to step into your purpose kind of thing. Um, and I think it's really easy to assume someone else is going to do this or mm-hmm. to think that you're not qualified or that you're not good enough. But being like, no, like, who I am as a person, the world needs more of that. You know, mm-hmm. that there's literally nobody else in this world like like me and, and that's so really cool to think about it's it's humbling and, and really yeah. cool to think about um but it so it kind of like shuts off those that self-doubt and that insecurity mm-hmm. um it just kind of allows you to step into you know whatever it is that you're wanting to do it wanting to do just knowing that like the world needs who i am you know to whatever degree that looks like i don't know but the world does need you know uniquely what i have to offer it yeah that's really really good and 
not assuming that someone else is going to mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. you or exactly. for them and, and, and they're they think like, better or... yeah and those people might be assuming the same thing so yeah. if we're all assuming that someone else is going to do it it's not going to get done yeah yeah well and other people are going to do what you want to do right but, that but doesn't... it doesn't take away from from what you're doing you're doing it you know yeah. and that's something that i really talk to young girls about is yeah. that like other females or any, you know, other people's success doesn't infringe upon yours, you know, just because she's doing well doesn't mean there's less of the pie for you. Right. You know, that, that idea of scarcity versus mm-hmm. fullness and that whole, that whole mindset. Um, yeah, that it doesn't negate your success. It doesn't infringe upon your success. And then, and instead of being threatened by yeah. someone else's success, yeah. celebrating it, celebrate it, mm-hmm. learn from it, learn from it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of, um, the track we all fall into is that, we do feel threatened, so it's like, I'm not going to see what's working because, you know, I'm, I'm angry that it's working for Yeah, because I want it to work for me. Right, and, that's, and so just think about how much, like, we're all missing out on, mm-hmm. on learning. It's just because we're so wrapped up in the fact that it's not us. Yep. You know. That is, take notes, friends, take notes. And I'm preaching myself. Right, same. 100%. Totally, same. 100%. Because that's our human nature. Exactly. It yeah. really is. It really is, but then I think it's really powerful to know those things. Like, yeah. Knowing that that is just human nature, and then be like, all right, how am I going to combat that? Mm-hmm. How am I going to, you know, step into that and, and do it a little bit better? Mm. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Option B. Okay. Option B by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. So oh. it's really, really powerful, really great. Um, so for listeners, uh, Cheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook. She is the author of Lean In. So it was really crucial to that conversation of, of women in the workforce and and that whole ordeal. Um, but she lost her husband suddenly a few years back. And so this book she wrote with Adam Grant, who's a psychiatrist, but he's a good friend of hers that has become pretty instrumental in her walking through grief. And um, it's a really great book about not just grief, but it's a really great book about resilience and, and finding your option B and finding your joy. Um, I recommend it to everybody. So not even anybody that, that's just walking through hardship because it, A, um, shows you how to come along some, as, alongside somebody that's walking through hardship. So even like specifically like kind mm-hmm. of things that you shouldn't say or things mm-hmm. that you you know might want to say more of. But then again, um, just the idea that I think everybody would say like their life hasn't gone exactly you know how they expected it to or how they how they thought it would. Um, and so finding like how do you find joy in that option B? So that's been the most recent book I've read, and I recommend that a hundred times over to anybody and everybody. That sounds so good. That's a really good one. You know, I'm starting a book club with this podcast. Cool. So, like, I just have a Facebook group uh-huh. for the show. Uh-huh. I can add you, but you know what's annoying about Facebook groups? What? Why can't I just invite you to join my group if you want? Why do I have to add you? I thought, I feel like I got a notification saying that you did. No. Was I, that different? I was, yes. Okay. okay. So, I'm trying to do this all, you get it. I'm trying to do this whole social media thing <laughs> right so I probably invited you to like my face, yes, my page. Okay, that's what it was. I'll have mm-hmm. another Facebook page. Okay. Well, the thing you're supposed to do, whatever, is have groups too. Within and, the page? No, separate, oh, separate. separate thing. Okay. Like a group so that people can have discussions okay, gotcha, and gotcha, whatever. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't invite you to come to the group. I would just have to add you. Like, have you ever been just added to like a LuLaRoe yes. group? Oh, yes. yes. I have a whole, whole page of things that I just... Don't see. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Like, I lost. I don't want to add you without you wanting to be added. Uh-huh. I want to invite uh-huh. you if you want to join uh-huh. the discussion. Uh-huh. But you can't do that. So then, how can listeners? No. Yeah. So basically, what all I've done, and I haven't pushed it very hard, and I kind of like started it, and then I got dry on it a little bit. And now I'm kind of back at it. I just like tweeted it and put it on Facebook okay. and told okay. people on the show a okay. little bit. Gotcha. Um, like you can just find. I'll have uh-huh. another Lindsay uh-huh. podcast. 
but anyway, I started a discussion on that page about starting a book club where, and then like once a month or whatever, we can do like a Facebook live about the book or, you know, whatever. But I haven't, I haven't picked, but that might be a good option. It's a great one. Option B. It's a really, really good one. It might have to be my second choice because I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty confident about what's your first choice. Um, Oh, what, what? I just had it. it like I just, I just made pulled the trigger. Sorry, I put it on the spot. No, now I want to know. Because I, <laughs> I had been talk, I had been texting my sister about it. Let's see here. Hold on. It is uh, Ronda Rousey's book. Okay. Am I, I saying her name it, right? Yes, I, I, that's how I say it. Okay. So either we're both saying it wrong or yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read that. Perfect. Okay. okay. So I'm going to choose that, and then you can join the book club. Okay, perfect. Um, and if there's nothing to join, really. But at the end of the book, I don't know what the timeline I'm going to do. I'm going to give. I'm going to do like a fun, like invite everybody over to the house and fun. do dinner and so wine fun. and everything. So, so fun. Local people. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, so that's a good one. Have you read Shoe Dog? Yes. Yeah. And so I loved it. Uh huh. But I want to pick a book I haven't read yet. So okay, I can fair. Like re- That's totally fair. Read it yep. with everybody. Totally fair. If I hadn't read Shoe Dog, I wouldn't mm-hmm. pick that, that would one. The, Have you read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, it was good. Um, okay, so any shows you're into? Do you watch any TV? Um, yes. So I'm not embarrassed by this. That's fine. I good. stand behind this. Um, Everybody loves The Office. Yeah. Um, but I, Andrew and I, like, obsessively love The Office. So I have seen every episode, every season, all the way through at least ten times. I'm not exaggerating. Um, like, we just will have it on, like, on loop. Uh-huh. Like, it will start season one and then literally work through every single episode. That's awesome. And then just start it over again. Yeah. It's just hilarious and um, also good to, like, have when you're, like, napping. Just mm-hmm. to have, like, noise on. Just noise on. So I watch The Office all the time. Um, and then, um, I, I watch things like The Bachelorette. Do you I watch know, The Bachelorette? I get sucked into Are you watching things. right now? I am. Tell I am. me your thoughts. So, I actually thought I was going to be bored with the season. Yeah. I thought Lindsay was great, but I was just like, I don't know if she's going to be a great Bachelorette. Yeah. Um, I thought that, like, Raven would be uh-huh. a really good, you know. You mean Rachel, but her last name. Oh, Rachel. Oh, yeah. Rachel. Rachel like, Lindsay. Rachel Lindsay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but I really love her. Yeah. The guys are crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's always funny, I think, to see um, just the uh, the testosterone and how that it, how that plays out. And you're just like, you're the worst in girls. Like, yeah. come on now, you crazies. Um, but that is not a guilty pleasure. That is a, that is a straight pleasure. That is a that straight, is a straight pleasure. pleasure. And you're allowed to have I'm that. I'm allowed to have that. Yeah. So, yeah, just, there, there's just, yeah, mindless shows. Yeah, I like The Bachelor mm-hmm. and The Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. I think I like The Bachelor. I definitely like The Bachelor better. Yes. Why do we like The Bachelor better? Because is we it, like to see the girls, like, interact. Is it because mm-hmm. we can identify with more? Probably. It's funny, though, because my sister-in-law, who's, like, the biggest Bachelor fan of all times, she likes The Bachelorette better because she likes to pick, like, boyfriends on the show. Hilarious. Yeah. So, um, what I um, am going to do this next um, season, and I meant to do it this last season, and maybe you might want to get on board. I do. Um, I already brackets. know. You haven't even... Brackets. Yeah. Brackets for the But contestants. I always say I want to do it, and then I get started, and I'm like, this, there's just too many people. I'm so, I, like, I get overwhelmed. <laughs> I can't even do this. <laughs> I've literally sat with a piece of paper in front of the TV and tried oh, to start man. it, and I get too overwhelmed. It is a bit much. It is a bit much. I think key would be having, like, a party and, like, totally. getting a bunch of girls 100%. together. It being a thing. Yes. Versus, like, you sitting on the couch and my husband, with your wine, yeah, yeah. Like, marking things off, taking notes. He's, like, watching Fargo <laughs> on his iPad, and I'm taking notes, and... Oh, man. Yeah, no. You need, I think... With a bunch of girl yeah, friends. It's a it's a whole thing. For sure. That'd be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tr- I don't have my notes on my questions. I'm trying to think what my last oh, uh, favorite nonprofit to support, which we probably talked about. 
Um, yeah, well, um, I mean, a couple, I, I'm now a, a huge fan of both hands with mm-hmm. Orphan and Widowhood. Um, obviously, Be the Match is a strong organization I'm, I'm really, you know, passionate about. Um, outside of that, um, Indiana Faith is um, an AU basketball league um, that the Raiders actually run and own. Oh. But um, it is, be, obviously, basketball is a big part of our lives. Yeah. Um, in the AAU world, for listeners that don't know, it's it's just a huge circuit of basketball teams, um, and it's a, the way that a lot of players get noticed. Um, so it's not always their high school, but it's like summer leagues, and they spend their whole a lot of times a year playing all these games um, with with these with their teammates and everything. And that's how Andrew got noticed by Butler was through AAU basketball. AAU basketball is really competitive and it's really expensive, mm. um, and so Indiana Faith is great because. It um, it takes out that like cost is not an issue for the boys like it's a lot of things are taken care of for them so there's a lot of boys that wouldn't be able to play sure. otherwise yeah and I love that um, and then they do a Bible study after a lot of their practices and they pray after each game um, so it's a you know faith based thing and in a lot of the boys that walk into it aren't necessarily you know they don't know the Lord and um, you know that's not a priority in their life but they're at least getting exposed to um, just that solid foundation. Um, and it's not like a forceful, like you have to be a Christian to join this organization, but it's like, this is an expectation. Like, you know, we do Bible studies and we do pray, um, and you know, and it just builds a really good community. Um, and they do a lot of service projects too. Which so I is love. it everywhere? Cause I know they're it's, over in like Avon, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they'll play everywhere. So they'll play. So they're, so their Indiana faith is a team. Well, it's, I think up to 18 teams, so different age range, but they play in like all these AAU circuits. So it's just a really great exposure for, again, these boys that probably wouldn't get offers otherwise oh, because I see they what you're can't saying. necessarily afford to okay. be on those teams because they're so darn expensive. Okay. So um, so who funds it? What, what the Raiders do? The whole thing? Um, a lot of it. And then they yeah. do... And then do they do, they like, grants? grants um, I'm not sponsors. They, they'll have people, yeah, that will donate and, and, yeah. and be sponsors for some kiddos. Um, but the Raiders, again, really wonderful people, and they just, they just care a lot. Um, and then That's they, really and cool. then the, the, the boys learn to give back. They, so they do a lot of service projects. Okay. So they go and feed the homeless, um, twice a month okay. downtown at Wheeler. And, um, they, so what they'll, it's really great. So the whole process is, is the boys prep all the, like all the, a lot of times they'll do chili in the wintertime. So they'll cut all the onions and then oh. make it all together. And then they'll all go downtown and then they'll just find different spots that, mm. um, you mm-hmm. know, homeless folks are you know, hanging out, hanging out. Yeah. They'll just serve them and love on them. And you'll see so much growth, like, where the boys, literally, I've seen them give their tennis shoes off, you mm-hmm. know, their feet or their coat off their back. Um, and just to see that at such a young age, for a lot of these boys, it's really cool to see that established so young. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your favorite people to follow on social media? Um, I love Mindy Kaling. Oh, I love her. She's so funny. Yes. So funny. Um, I love following her. Did you ever watch the Mindy Project? Yes. Yeah. And loved it. Yes laugh hysterically. Oh yeah. So funny. I love it. So I love Mindy Kaling. Um, there are a few really, um, badass CrossFit girls, mm. Christmas Abbott, Brooke mm-hmm. Wells, um, Camille, um, just really, really like strong women that, um, just start defying standards yeah. of what beauty is, uh-huh. um, and doing it unapologetically and, um, just, you know, throwing around really, really heavy weight too. Yeah. So, and again, like, and it's what I love about CrossFit and seeing, these girls that are competing at such a high level is that we're doing the same movements. Like a lot of the workouts, I'll do them too. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's super humbling to like compare <laughs> results, but just also being like, it's cool. Just knowing like how they felt and uh-huh. you know where it would have been hard. So those are, there's some really great CrossFit athletes I like to follow. Um, I love following Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Oh, They're hilarious. Smith. Yeah. And they are, um, 
Yeah, they're funny. So I'm telling you what, Kevin Hart. A lot of people have mentioned him. He's just with funny. this question. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, um, and he actually recently got into CrossFit, so that's been like an added oh, layer so it's a, to my following. It's just that yeah, he he likes that too. Um, but he's just funny. So he was in Indy a couple years ago. Oh, Kevin Hart doing stand up. Yeah, and so I went. Do you love stand up? I love stand up. Oh, we'll have to go to a show together. We should. we should. You know what? We should do together. Tell me everything. This is perfect. I want to take an improv class. Oh, okay. And if you are getting into public yeah. speaking... Oh, I'd be down. I, I looked it up. I'm a little intimidated, but I would be down. I'm totally intimidated. <laughs> okay, good. Let's just do it then. We should do it together. Um, it starts soon. We can okay. talk about it off right Okay, let's do it. Um, but yeah, and I mean, nothing prepares you better for public speaking. Right. Like improv class. Ready, ready yeah. For so, yeah. Oh, that's stand perfect. up and documentaries all over my notes. Yes. 100%. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I want all the stand up for all sure. Stand up, all the documentaries all day. Same. Well, I'm going to turn off the recording, but then we can talk about our improv. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your Thanks story with everybody. Me. This has been really fun. Right. I really appreciate it. All right. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Samantha, for coming on the show. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can follow me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We do have a Facebook group as well, and we are starting our book club tomorrow, July 1st. Our first book is Ronda Rousey's book, My Fight, Your Fight. I'll put the link in the show notes to join our Facebook group so you can be a part of that book club. So fun, right? All right, guys, thank you guys so much for listening and supporting the podcast. I'm so excited about this community and how it's growing. And you guys continue to encourage me to do the best I can with this show. So I deeply appreciate each and every one of you. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.